ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. This is your tech news briefing for Tuesday, February 14th. I'm Zoe Thomas for The Wall Street Journal. It's Valentine's Day, so we're talking about the thing on everybody's mind. Algorithms. I'm only slightly kidding. That's because more and more people are meeting their romantic partners via a dating app, which raises questions about how those programs match people up and whether advances in technologies could make dating easier. On today's show, we'll be joined by Liesl Sharabi, director of the Relationships and Technology Lab at Arizona State University. That's after these headlines. Meta's top advertising executive is stepping down, the company announced on Monday. Marnie Levine is set to depart from the company this summer and will leave her role next week. The departure comes as the Facebook parent company struggles through one of the toughest periods for advertising. Over the past three quarters, it's recorded year-over-year declines in revenue. Meta is also working to remove layers of management within the company, its CEO Mark Zuckerberg said during the company's earnings call earlier this month. Two of Meta's current executives are set to succeed Levine. They'll expand their current duties and report directly to the COO. Twilio is laying off about 17% of its staff, its second round of cuts in just five months. On Monday, the cloud communications company also laid out other cost-cutting measures. It's slashing the CEO's salary in half, winding down certain employee perks, and reorganizing the business into two units. The company will also close some offices as Twilio pursues a remote work culture. For the first time, Uber is going fully into the cloud. The ride-hailing company is moving its information technology from its own data centers to Google Cloud and Oracle. It's signed a seven-year deal with each for the switch. Over 95% of Uber's IT is currently housed in internal data centers, according to Uber's Senior Director of Technology Strategy. Our reporter, Bell Lynn, explains what Uber has to gain with this move. One, there really became this tipping point during the pandemic when the company felt that it was overly reliant on hardware supply chains. So the pandemic really disrupted the hardware delivery timelines for a lot of really important IT equipment. And so one way to sort of get around that for companies like Uber is to kind of shift that burden onto the cloud providers. So they're not directly responsible for ordering that hardware themselves. And then the second thing they wanted to do is that they wanted to refocus or shift their engineers. And then the last thing is that Uber does expect to save money in the long run by moving to the cloud. Uber declined to comment on how it plans to spread its data and applications between Google and Oracle's cloud platforms. And the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria have left thousands dead. Collapsed buildings and fractured roads have also badly damaged the country's transportation networks, making it harder for rescue workers to get access. But now aid workers are tapping technology, like drones and satellites, to find ways through the rubble. Two researchers are also developing a model for evaluating which areas are most at risk of being cut off in the event of a future earthquake. WSJ video journalist George Downs has more. 
To do this, they took data on things like building density, seismic strength, vehicle throughput, and road layout to create a heat map, which not only shows which roads and buildings might be damaged in a quake, but also which roads might become blocked if a building collapsed, and crucially, which areas were most at risk from being entirely cut off in the event of an earthquake. To watch George's full video on mapping tech, head over to the WSJ's YouTube page and click on his channel. Alright, coming up, these days Cupid's Arrow is often delivered via an algorithm. But how do they work, and what technology might change how we date in the future? We'll discuss after the break. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. One in 10 partnered adults, that's people who are married, living with a partner, or in a committed romantic relationship, say they met their current significant other on a dating site or app. Those results are from a Pew Research Center report published earlier this month. That same report found a majority of U.S. adults surveyed are skeptical about whether the programs that underlie those apps can actually find love matches. To understand a little more about this discrepancy and the role technology can play in finding us love, I'm joined by Liesl Sharabi. She's an associate professor at Arizona State University and the director of the Relationships and Technology Lab at ASU. Hi, Professor Sharabi. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. So you don't work with any of the dating apps, but from a high level, can you kind of explain how they work? I mean, so many of us use them these days, but what's going on behind the scenes? So a lot of these platforms are using algorithms to match people. And algorithms are used to recommend people to you on a dating app, a lot like how Amazon would recommend a product or how Netflix might recommend a movie that you would want to watch. But unlike products, people have to reciprocate your interests. So it's not enough that you like someone. You also have to think about, is this person also going to be interested in you in return? And so in that sense, these algorithms have to be more complex, and they have to take that reciprocity into account when they're forming matches between people. What's the difference between, say, apps where you maybe swipe on somebody you're interested in versus apps where you answer a load of questions and then you're maybe presented with potential matches? Well, on some dating apps, they're having people self-report their preferences by asking them questions about what they're looking for, about themselves in general, and then they're doing their best to deliver somebody who's going to meet those criteria. Now, the issue that comes into play when you ask people what they're looking for is that sometimes what we think we're going to find attractive and what we actually find attractive can be two very different things. So you might think you wouldn't date somebody who is under 6'1", but the reality is that if they were charming and you really connected, that you wouldn't pay attention to something like that. Now, on a lot of dating apps, um, 
especially recently, they're starting to skip over that process and they're just having people start swiping with the idea being that they're going to figure out what your taste is and what your preferences are by just looking on the types of profiles that you engage with. And so they are going to know what your type is without actually having to take the time to ask you. So a lot of um, dating apps today are using something called a collaborative filtering algorithm where they're making recommendations based on the behaviors of people who have similar tastes to you. So as a basic example, say you're swiping on an app and you swipe right to indicate that you like a guy named Mike. The app might consider, okay, who else has swiped right on Mike? We see that those people also like Josh. So now we might serve up Josh as your next recommendation. So they don't have to ask you what you're looking for. They can just kind of figure it out based on how you're engaging with profiles. Technology has really changed the way we interact with humans at at all levels. I mean, the telephone made it easier to connect. Email connected us to people who are farther away. Has using dating apps changed the kinds of relationships we've had? I mean, I think that they're giving us a lot more options than we used to have. Because if you think of what we did before we had dating apps, you were kind of at the mercy of the people you might come across just going about your day-to-day routine, like who you meet at the gym, who you meet at work or at school. And so I think that one of the really great things that dating apps do for people is that they just open up the dating pool beyond your immediate network and even beyond your immediate community to introduce you to a lot more people than you would have had access to previously. What about incentives for the dating apps themselves? Yeah, I mean, there's different ways that you can look at this because on the one hand, it makes the app look really good if they're helping people form successful relationships. You would think that that would be a desirable outcome. But at the same time, when people are successful in finding a long-term relationship, if that's what they're looking for, then those are people who will ultimately leave the app. I want to talk a little bit more about how these apps are developed in the first place. What goes into them? If I'm, you know, a new app developer, I want to start a dating app. Am I starting with with math? Am I starting with a focus group of gossipy grandmas from my neighborhood? How, how do you start these? I mean, one thing that you really need are users. And so one of the number one things that I think people look for when they're deciding which dating app to sign up for is just how many people are there. Is it going to expand their opportunities to meet someone? And so with users, like the best way to get users is to have users. That's going to attract people. And so I think that that's definitely... Something to think about is just where are the people going to come from and how can you make sure that people are going to find the type of crowd that they actually want? Like I think of these dating apps kind of like singles bars where everyone has a different crowd, it has a different culture. And so people also look for individuals that are what they want, that are what they're looking for in a relationship, and they look for their crowd on these apps. And so also thinking about your demographics and who you're trying to appeal to can help. You know, technology doesn't stop with apps. You've done some research on immersive and virtual reality dating. Can you take us through how that might change dating in the future? Yeah, at this point, this is all very speculative because I think that right now a lot of people are still getting used to the idea of video dating. So the idea of virtual reality dating sounds really far-fetched. But when I think about what this space is going to look like in five or ten years, The idea of just engaging with people over text and swiping on profiles, 
I think that that leaves a lot of room for improvement. And when I think of virtual reality dating, I think of really taking dating back to its roots and allowing people to meet more organically. So right now you swipe on profiles. In virtual reality, you might have the chance to walk up to somebody at a virtual bar and just sit down and start talking while still having all of the advantages of a dating app where you can read more about somebody, where you can see a profile. But I think that it allows people to get to know each other as individuals rather than getting to know each other through a profile. I want to talk about some news that we can maybe use. If you're using a dating app, are there kind of best ways to use it to make sure that you are finding, you know, the right matches? So one thing that people can do is get out there and just meet people. I think that sometimes you spend a lot of time swiping and talking without taking that next step of actually meeting somebody in person. And so That can be very time-consuming. It can be very draining. And also, spending that time interacting with somebody on a dating app doesn't necessarily give you a sense of what it's going to be like to interact with them in person. So using the apps more as a way of being introduced to people and then doing the real dating face-to-face where you can get a better sense of what it's like to engage with them. Professor Shirabi, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for today's tech news briefing. If you want more tech stories, head over to our website, wsj.com. And if you like our show, please rate and review it. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Zoe Thomas for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.